I want to turn your hearts and your minds now to the Word of God as it's recorded in Psalm 40, reading the first eight verses. Psalm 40, reading from verse 1 down to verse 8. And the Word of God reads thus. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear, and I will trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works, which you have done, and your thoughts towards us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened, burnt offering and sin offering, you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. May God add his own rich blessing to that reading of his word. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. Shall we? Let's pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of having your word in our mother tongue. We bless you for all those who down through the eons and ages have sacrificed life and limb to give us in our mother tongue the precious word of God. We bless you therefore, Heavenly Father, for this word which speaks to us of our great need and of the provision of your grace to be found in your dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask that this night your Holy Spirit will come Open our ears and our eyes and our hearts that we might receive your word and that this word might do its transforming power by bringing us in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We're going to have um, another reading and uh, this time it's uh, just a short reading to uh, emphasise my theme for tonight, the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Hebrews 10, uh, reading from verse 5 to verse 7. <clears throat> and once again, this is how the Word of God reads to us. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 to 7. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O my God. Rudyard Kipling was a tremendous writer of literature and poetry. And indeed, 
Uh, he once recorded in his diary that everything he'd ever learned, he learned from five little workmen. What were those workmen? Well, let me tell you. They were who, why, where, when, and what. And they had a cousin called How. <laughs> These little workmen were all that this great man used in all his studies, in all the works of literature, in all his poetry and stories that he wrote. And all I wish for us to do uh, this evening hour is to briefly take one of these little workmen uh, and, and to use it in a question and ask the question, why did Jesus come to earth? Why did Jesus come to earth? Now some people say, oh, there was no need for him to come. We, knew, we know all that we need to know about this world. Our archaeologists have given us the history of the past. And our scientists are busy unfolding and unfathoming the great mysteries of the universe. The new telescope, which is costing millions, 45 million pounds. That's the British contribution. Goodness knows what the French and the Americans are contributing. Is going to plumb the very depth of our universe and tell us about the very beginning. Well, my Bible tells me that in the beginning, God. And I stand on that. I am amazed that we live in a day and age where people are told the lie, which is that we evolve from animals, and people believe it. Ask them a question. How did the spider evolve? The original spider would have perished with hunger, unable to spin a web. Who gave it the ability to spin a web? I ask you, how could my eye pick you all up if it did not have within it the rods and the nerves and the lens that mysteriously developed over millions and millions of years? I gave up believing in fairy tales when I was a young man. Particularly the one that says you kiss a frog and he turns into a prince. And that's what we've been asked to believe today. I would rather base my life and the building of my life on the word of God. Nothing else quite satisfies like this word. Some people say, well, we, we can see the hand of God in nature. What do we see in nature? We see power, we see majesty, but we do not see love. We do not see grace. We do not see forgiveness. We do not see righteousness. We only see these when we peruse this book. It's a piece of paper, don't worry about it. <laughs> Let me ask you this question. Have you ever thought about my question? Why did Jesus come to this earth. How then does the Bible answer the question? Why did Jesus come to earth? The Bible answer is to do God's will. Of all the babies ever born in that Bethlehem all those thousands of years ago, there was none quite like the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. To really understand who it is that came, we have to 
peruse the Old Testament promises that tell us that there would come one, a mighty one, a deliverer. The Jews thought that he would be a conquering hero. They didn't expect to see a suffering saviour on a cross. That's why they were so bitterly disappointed in the character of Christ. They expected somebody haughty and proud and noble, somebody who commanded armies. And instead they found someone who could say he was humble and lowly in heart. Do you get that? Humble and lowly in heart. If Christ had come as a giant, 18 feet tall, with, with muscles that would make Arnold Schwarzenegger look like a stripling, we'd have run in terror from him. But he comes as a true human being with a unique birth, but still being born of a woman, born under the law, as it says in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. Why? For the express purpose that he might ransom, redeem and reconcile us to God. And hey, how normal was this? Well, it was abnormal in that there was no man involved because this was a special work of God the Holy Spirit. But the birth of Jesus Christ followed the normal gestation timing of other ordinary human beings, other women. And he was born. The various, uh, earliest history of the Lord Jesus Christ starts with him being born in a stable and laid in an animal's feeding trough. Imagine that. The great King of Glory, the creator and sustainer of all things that we see, was born in a stable and laid in a manger. And it was the first act of his humiliation and his humbling for people like me and you, that we might be exalted, that we, he, we might be lifted up, that he, through his poverty, might make us rich. And so it was that Christ enters into this life, Titus 1 and 2 says, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Do you get that? Before time began, some scientists, not all, I've got a couple of friends who are scientists, but they are creationists. One in particular, he's a doctor of science, a specialist in uh, the humble potato. Don't invite him to dinner, because, <laughs> because he... <laughs> He would just dissect the potato and tell you whether there's any disease in it. Like one day, he had a bit of black in it. He looked at it and said, did you know this is potato gangrene? I was right off my dinner that day. <laughs> <laughs> but not all scientists. Just because a man wears a white coat, don't think he's honest. The lies and the untruths that are being told. Two years ago, the BBC broadcast a programme. And in it, the BBC announcer said, and in China, you can't get much further away than China, so they probably thought they were safe. In China, they have now discovered feathered dinosaur fossils. A friend of mine, Dr. David Rosevere, wrote to the BBC and asked, could we have the proof of this, please? He got no reply. 
So he went to the Chinese embassy in London and asked them for the proof of what the BBC had broadcasted. He waited three months for a reply, but when the reply came, it was signed by none other than the Chinese ambassador to the United Kingdom himself, who said, what the BBC broadcast is a falsehood. It's a lie. We've never said we've discovered feathered dinosaurs. And how often have you heard people on the, on the radio or on the TV talking about feathered dinosaurs? Now you can buy the books in uh, the bookstores about dinosaurs and some of them will have feathers on them. Why? Because they believe, now listen to this, that the ancestors of the dinosaurs are the birds that we see around us. Next time I see a sparrow, I'm going to run in terror. It could be a mini Tyrannosaurus Rex. How ridiculous is that? But listen, my dear friends, we have here the truth and the wonder of Christmas in that this baby that was born in Bethlehem was none other than the eternal Son of God, the one who came into the world with a purpose. Get that? The only baby that was ever born of all the myriads of babies that have ever been born before and since the birth in Bethlehem have been born into this world but only he came with a purpose and what was that purpose he came to die he came to die for people like me and people like you he came with a purpose when I was a child, when I was born, I can't remember having a purpose. I was born in an obscure little mining village in Wales. So obscure, it's not even on the map. You, and if you, if you go to try and find it, you'll get lost. But there it is, it, 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 I was born there. And I can remember my first day in school, vaguely, because my mother keeps reminding me of it. I went to school, and when I came home, I had two questions burning in my heart. Mum! When can I leave? <laughs> and two, who earns the most, teachers or preachers? There was a minister in the village, Mr. Benson. How he managed to survive and what they paid him, I'll never know. But my mother said, oh, you grow up and be a teacher, Robert. Well, God had the last laugh. I became a preacher instead. And thank God for it as well. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ had a purpose. My purpose? First of all, I remember I wanted to be a school teacher. But then I heard that I had to go to university for at least three years. I didn't like that. Uh, I decided I would do something different. My next door neighbour was a, a railway engine driver. Now that's an interesting job. It was during the age of the steam engine, by the way. There was a steam engine which ran up and down the valley from the coal mine, taking coal down to Cardiff Dock. And uh, he had a wonderful job. He, uh, he only seemed well, a couple of hours a day. And, and, and the rest of the time, he was coming home and having dinner uh, with his wife. Why? Because he worked in the marshalling yard. And they didn't take the trucks down to the docks until they had 100 trucks each carrying a tonne and a half of Welsh steam coal. And I thought, that's, that's a job for me. I'd, I'd like that, being able to have the 
an hour off in the afternoon and then a, another hour off for a cup of tea later on and just taking the trucks down the valley and then coming back with the empty trucks. But then time passed on and I, 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 I finished my schooling and uh, on the roll of honour they had all these people who had gone to Cambridge and uh, Oxford and all the other places and down the bottom there's me, Robert Winston, he left. <laughs> He left. Oh, did <coughs> Mind you, I owe it to the Royal Air Force who found I had a brain. And they sent me off to a bit of studying. I ended up with a PhD in theology. So watch out. I'm a bit of a theologian. And uh, what I'm trying to show to you is all of us have had various aspirations during our lives. Various hands, various purposes. My, uh, my son, uh, he, he, first of all, he thought about joining the Air Force. My influence, I mean, he put him off. I told him how rough it had been. It was very rough. We had difficulty buying brill cream. <laughs> and we lived on sausages. And uh, I, I had to be up at all hours of the night, out on the runway, uh, making sure the lights uh, were working, out there in a frost and fog and uh, snow, so I put him off that. And then in the end, he got another aspiration. He wanted to be a banker, and he's done very well. Very well indeed. He, he, he's director of, of Lloyd's Bank. And um, he, he brings his pay home in a wheelbarrow. That, that, you know, that's the kind of money they, they earn in, in some banks. But Christ was different. He came with one plan, one purpose. And that plan, that purpose, had been established before time began. It was established in that great council of redemption where God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit met before they'd ever created anything and hammered out an agreement that ultimately was ratified in the precious shed blood of Christ on the cross and became the covenant of grace. If you've never studied covenant theology, my dear friend, understand this. We stand in this great covenant of grace and the great mediator of that covenant is the Lord Jesus Christ. He came for the express purpose of ratifying that pre-creation Trinitarian agreement that you and I should be saved because of what he would do on the cross of Calvary. And I can still remember at the age of 19 hearing the gospel for the first time. I was sent to Sunday school. All, all Welsh children of my age, they went to Sunday school. We were very religious people. And everybody went to Sunday school. But I remember listening to the stories of Jesus. Jesus feeding the 5,000. Oh, he opened his sandwich pack. And everybody else opened their sandwich pack and they shared their sandwiches. Jesus walking on the water. He knew where the stepping stones were. The Sea of Galilee is 500 feet deep. How great must those stepping stones have been? Incredible, the things I was taught and told about the lovely person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The miracles and healings. Oh, well, he just knew there was something wrong. It was as if somebody came to him with a pain in the back and he would look at them and say, ah, it's a case of braces buccalitis. And he would turn the braces around and the piece of metal that's on the back wouldn't be sticking in the back. They were cured. Is that what we are to believe? No. 
When Christ came, Hebrews tells us that he was the effulgent glory of God, the creator and sustainer of all things, upholding all things by the word of his power. I said to one evolutionary scientist one day, what holds this planet and this world together? If I did, he exploded. There was a tremendous tirade. If I had had two dials, one would have said, volume, full. The other would have said, content, empty. He blustered and flustered. Why? Because I said to him, my Bible tells me that it is the Lord Jesus Christ who upholds all things by the word of his power. And he didn't like that. He didn't like that. Christ came for a purpose. And that purpose was that he would be born and that he would one day suffer and die on the cross. And in between those two great events, he would establish a perfect righteousness by upholding all the commands of God. Never in thought or word or deed did he falter. He had held that ten commandments and he was declared to be perfect. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he satisfied the heart of our Heavenly Father by the fact that he was establishing a righteousness which is imputed, credited, stocked, call it what you will, but given to me and you the moment that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the wonder of the salvation that we have. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to bring massive mausoleums or palaces or castles to try and buy God's favour. God's favour is obtained by simply coming as a humble sinner and saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's the prayer that God cannot fail to answer. He answers it by granting you faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So why did Jesus come? He came to do the will of God. He says himself, in John 6.38, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He was a man on a mission. He was the God-man on a mission. Why did Jesus come to earth? The Bible answers to bear witness to the truth. The Lord Jesus Christ himself could say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's amazing how people take the Bible and either rip it out of context or rip something off the context. As a church minister for 25 years, it fell, and, and two years as a part-time trainee, I, I, I found that I frequently had funerals to take. I used to look upon it as an opportunity. Somebody, sometimes somebody who I didn't know would ask me to take their funeral. And I would ask them why. And they say, well, uh, we, uh, uh, we have links going back to this church and that church. We'd like a minister from that constituency of faith. So I would say, okay. And then I would visit them and talk to them and mention the Lord Jesus Christ to them. But I used to sit there sometimes and listen to other church ministers say great things like, oh, we know that he or she has gone to heaven. 
Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. Everybody goes to heaven. They miss out. But the bit that says, but through me. No man cometh into the Father, but through me. You see, he's the way to God. He's the truth uh, from, from God. And he's the life of God in the soul the moment that you receive him and believe him. He's the truth about God. One of the greatest verses in, in, in the Bible is John chapter 3 and verse 16. As a young Christian, uh, I was sent to this church. The, the people who sent me, they had no idea what was going on in that church. It was not much of a church, really. But one thing that impressed me, up on the wall there's a text, John 3 verse 16. I, I knew nothing at all about the Bible when I was saved. All I knew that there was somewhere in the Bible that said God is love. But I listened to a medical doctor preach the gospel on the two builders with the two foundations, the two structures and the two destinies. And then he asked the question, which one would you be? And it struck home, I would be the one building on the sand because my life was in a mess. So I trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ with the help of a friend who was a Christian. And I can honestly tell you that I have found the joy and the peace. I was 19 when I became a Christian. I'd never really heard the gospel explained so simply and so succinctly as my uh, godly uh, brother and preacher, Dr. James, did on that particular evening in Wiltshire at a place called Lynham. Still there, still on the map, but it's no longer an Air Force base. It's now a school of training for the mechanical engineers, mechanical and electrical engineers. And they've still got a Sazra reader. Do you support Sazra? Yeah, yeah, yeah good. Uh, they've still got a scripture reader who visits that camp, and he has a, a, a big impact. When I was there, there was no scripture reader. There was just a farmer who had a, a farm outside the main gate and he used to give out tracts. Uh, and that's how my friend got saved and that's how I got saved. He was giving out gospel literature and uh, we came to know the Lord through meeting him in his kitchen and talking to him. The truth, well, the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ is that he's the only one who's perfect. See, God asks me and you to be perfect. Be ye perfect as I am perfect. Now, you've all sat exams. I can remember on one occasion getting 51% in English. Remember, I'm Welsh. And I passed! Hooray! And in, in mathematics, I got 49 and I failed. Boom! Sacked the examiner. He got, got it wrong. But listen, when God looks at me and you, he demands 100%. That terrifies me. Because I know what goes on in here. At the end of every day, I have to bow the knee and confess my sins and ask God to forgive me and to cleanse me again in that pressure shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only he can do it. And he will to do it. He washes me white as snow so that on the morrow when I get up then I can start a fresh page I can blot it with my lies and my lusts and my loose tongue. 
And yet he, who is lowly of heart, delights in mercy. Malachi 7, verse 9. He delights in mercy. The Hebrew word there is that he's overjoyed. He's, he's exuberantly enthusiastic about the extension of mercy to people like me and you. My dear friends, the one thing we need in this day and age is mercy. We're living in a day and age where you young people are taught all about relativism. Relativism simply means that what's truth for one is not truth necessarily truth for you. Truth is a, is a variable thing. Don't swallow the lie. There is a standard of truth. And it's to be seen in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth and the life. And he calls you, he asks you, he pleads with you by his Holy Spirit every time the gospel is preached to come to him as a standard for truth and to yield to that truth and to give your heart and your life in service for him. Why did Jesus come? He came to witness to the truth that we are sinners and that only he can save us. Not some guru in some Hindu temple not some philosopher in some whitewashed temple of literature and learning in the UK in an Oxford or a Cambridge, but Jesus Christ who was born in a stable, laid in a manger and ultimately crucified on the cross of Calvary. He satisfies. Why? Because he's alive. On the third day he rose from the dead. Andrew Anderson, back in 1907, was one of the foremost legal brains in the land. He wasn't a Christian. And he investigated the claims of Jesus Christ as a, as a lawyer. And after extensive research of three years, he came to this conclusion. Jesus Christ was a historical figure. Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And three, Jesus Christ had become the saviour of Andrew Anderson. I could tell you the same story by a general in the United States Army by the name of General Lew Wallace. You've probably read the book, Ben-Hur. Well, this was the man who wrote that book. He wrote the book because he studied for three years. He became governor of Arizona. He was a successful Union general who had helped General Grant to defeat the Confederacy and, and bring the Confederacy back into the Union. And his prize for doing all that was to become the governor of Arizona. There were more cows there than there were people. So, so he decided he would do something, and he was challenged by a, a friend of his who was a colonel. Why don't you disprove this myth of Jesus Christ? So he spent time. He visited the universities in Britain and in France and in, in Austria and Germany. And at the end of over three years of detailed study, he wrote the book Ben-Hur, but on the fly cover, he wrote three little statements. One, Jesus Christ was a historic character. Two, Jesus Christ really proves himself as the Son of God. And three, at the age of 55, I, General Lew Wallace, have bowed my knees to the Lord Jesus Christ as my Saviour. And that book is a book which he entitled, A Book About the Life and Times of the Lord Jesus Christ. Although it's centred on the prince of, of her uh, uh, um, and with the, uh, the, the, his Roman friend who he beat in a, 
a contest of uh, driving chariots round and round and round. The book is far better, actually, than the film. So if you ever see the book, be the book, buy the book. But there are scores of people, young and old, who've experimented with testing the claims of Jesus Christ. And they come to the conclusion that, that the other two people I've mentioned have, have made. He's a real historical character. He's alive today. And all you've got to do is ask him and he will come and forgive you your sins. Relativism? Rubbish. What's truth for you is not truth for me? Rubbish. What's truth is Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that. Because one day, even if you're stiff and upright and will not bow the knee in time to Jesus Christ, in eternity, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall give confession that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if all the other promises of God have been fulfilled, that one will ultimately be fulfilled as well when Jesus Christ returns in glory. And my final point is this. Why did Jesus come to earth? The Bible answer is this. To save the lost. To save the lost. Without Jesus Christ in our hearts, we are lost. I can still remember being lost. <coughs> My mother had taken me to the big city. That was for us, Cardiff. Lovely city. And there was a lovely shop there. They've all gone now called Woolworths. <laughs> I, 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 I'm really sad over Woolworths. I, every Christmas I used to go in there, buy two big pounds of pick and mix and tip them, in, <laughs> tip them into dishes. In, and, and my children always come and visit me. And by the time they'd gone, the sweets would have been plundered. <laughs> The rogues. But there we are, they were my children and I love them. <laughs> but I was in Woolworths. I was five years of age. And my, I, I let go of my mother's hand because look at all these toys. Can you remember the counters they used to have? On tiptoes, I could just about get my nose over the counter and see all the toys that were there. And then, then I looked round and I thought, where is she? You can't put a woman down. She never stays still for five minutes. I was gripped with anger first. And then suddenly, I looked around. I couldn't see my mother anywhere. And there were all these giants walking around me. And I was 20 miles away from home. I couldn't walk there. I couldn't run there. I didn't have a railway ticket. I didn't have a bus ticket. I burst out into tears. And this was during the time when every counter had one or two staff behind it. And a very kind lady came out and I said, are you lost? And through my tears I blubbed out, yes, I was lost. She lifted me up and put me on her shoulders and to placate me, she gave me a pencil. <laughs> Just a hold a pencil. And then in the crowd, I could see my mother. My mother had very unusual hair. It was bright red. I think it's the Irish element in, in my side of the family and suddenly I could see her looking around with white and suddenly she saw me and the worry dissolved into a beaming smile as she bustled up lifted me down thanked the lady and then took me off and I was so relieved I, 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 I felt I'd been delivered from an awful fate I was going to get trampled by these people around me <coughs> and that's 
your condition really without the Lord Jesus Christ you are lost you're away from him you stumble around in the dark no matter how hard you work and labour you're never going to find that satisfaction of heart and mind every time you buy something it's going to wear out the new car that you might eventually get if the Chinese give us the chips in time for it to be produced you, you, you'll have it and then in about two years time it, things will start wearing out on it you'll need a new exhaust you need four new tyres maybe and, and there's a, a sense where everything in this life leads to dissatisfaction but there's one area where you'll not be dissatisfied that's if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ you see He's our saviour. He's our sacrifice. And he's our substitute. Charles Dickens wrote a story entitled Two Cities. In it, uh, he pictured two friends. One was uh, Charles Darnay and the other was Sidney Carton. Sidney Carton was a rascal and a rogue, a womanizer, a drunkard, a spendthrift. Whereas Charles Darnay w- w- was a quiet godly sort of man who respected women and for some strange reason Dickens had Darnay put in prison falsely accused they were going to execute him and Sidney Carton thought I can't let this happen and do you know what he did in this it's a story but he went to the prison exchanged clothes with his friend his friend walked out as him and he stayed there and he was put on the cart on the tumbril and taken to the guillotine and as he rode on the guillotine Dickens put these words into his mouth it is a far far better thing that I am doing today than I have ever done in my life before my friends it, it would be a far far better thing for you to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and not to do it tomorrow or next week but to do it today and do it now God bless you And may you find Christ this Christmas time.